I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. <laughs> Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. <laughs> oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, oh. So let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. Wow. My name's Don, and I'm really happy to be here with you as we go through the second chapter of Timothy. Keep your mind on that chair for a minute. So we're going to look at that a little bit closer. Second Timothy is, as you know, a letter from Paul, who's in prison, to his son in faith, Timothy, who's been a pastor about 15 years in this place called Ephesus, which is a rough place to pastor. Whatever happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. It's one of those kind of cities. Not only does anything goes, but almost anything is applauded. And Timothy's going like, how do I make it through this? And Paul starts to lay down some foundations that strengthen him and give him a, a mindset for the future of what the church is to look like. And we've been looking at that all summer. Today, the second chapter bounces out in front of us. And uh, we're going to look about the first half of that second chapter. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. A lot of the scriptures are going to be on the screen, which I want to just share with you. Kind of in the middle of the chapter, verse, starting verse 7 and 8, are a couple of verses with a, with a word or two that, that just kind of keep bouncing out to me when I read through this. The seventh verse says, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. And then over in verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. Reflect, remember, remind, hang into these, put this in your memory bank. Don't forget this. One of the key values of, of Mountain Park is to make a memory. Do you know why it's to make a memory? So you'll remember. That's why you want to make a memory, so you'll remember it. There's a quote from a guy named Samuel Johnson back in the 1700s. 
<clears throat> literature guy, he said this, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. People need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. So today, <clears throat> especially as we look at, at Paul's words to Timothy, we're not, I'm not going to give you a bunch of new stuff. I just want to remind you of some things. It's Paul reminding Timothy how to be strong, how to endure. And it's me reminding you, here, here's what we're all about. These are, these are some things that you hang on to, to endure and to keep through life. So look at over at verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul says these words, You then, my son, be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love that. I read those words and go, it, it kind of gives me a little chill. My son. I mean, you ever have like a, a mentor or a hero, somebody in your life that means so much to you and you go, if, if I could ever just be like that person, I'm good. If I could be like her, if I could be like him, they're, they're awesome. That's what Timothy thought of Paul. And for to have that kind of person, Paul, say about Timothy, that's, that's my boy right over there. That's my guy. That's my son. I've, I've helped lead him to the Lord, and I helped build him up in his faith. And now the church of tomorrow is going to be on his shoulders here in Ephesus. Boom. I mean, that just, I can't imagine what, if the apostle Paul would think that of me or of you. Or if Jesus would think that as he does of you and me. What a, what a great privilege. But he says this, be strong. Be strong. That phrase is used over and over and over again in First and Second Timothy. Be strong. Endure. Keep at it. Work hard. Don't quit. Don't stop. Over and over. Be strong. Be strong. If I wrote you a letter and 25 times said, be strong, what does that probably say about you? You're not feeling that strong. You're feeling weak. You're, you may be like, I, I don't know if I can go any further. Ready to quit. Ready to drop it all. I'm weak. Now, if, if you were to be honest, and I don't expect you to be honest in church, but if you, <laughs> if you were to be honest, I'd ask you, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going in your Christian life? I wonder how many, don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many would raise your hand and you go, yeah, I'm weak. I'm feeling pretty weak. I mean, if we were out in the hallways and we were, you know, we'd do the church thing, how's it going? Terrific! You know, and then as soon as you walk away, well, really, okay. But really in the depths of your heart, it's like, Ugh, man, I'm, I'm weak. In fact, maybe some of you have come here today and you're just, you're just trying to hear something that you're going to be able to hold on to, just to bolster you up just for another few days for this week. Be strong, Timothy. Be strong. I know you're not feeling strong, but here, Timothy, it's not about you. It's not in you. I know you need to be strong, but re just realize where the source of your strength is. It's in the grace of Christ Jesus. It's a gift of Christ Jesus. Your strength comes from him. Be strong in Christ Jesus. There's a, a woman who was born in 1866, Florence Johnson Flint. 
By age five, her mother had died. Complications from giving birth to her sister. Not much longer after that, her dad died. So in her early ages of life, she became an orphan. She was adopted by another family who raised her, pointed her to Jesus, and influenced her to come to Jesus. And yet, after a few years, they died and left her orphaned again. As a young lady growing up, she was afflicted with this crippling arthritis condition that took her to a wheelchair, and she spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair. I don't know if you've ever spent some time in a wheelchair. I've spent a few months in one. It's horrible. I can't imagine what it was like in the 1800s. Horrible. She found out she had a gift to write, though, and she wrote prose and poetry. And she would start encouraging people. She, was very, she was, became known as an encourager. In fact, on birthdays or whatever, she would send her little poetry and her poems to, to people as a gift, and it would be so warming of their heart and so uplifting. And pretty soon, they became very popular in that area, and, and even people started to put music to the poet, the poems. And they became, some of them, hymns that were sung in church and passed down. And there was one song that's been passed down through the ages that when I was a young man, we started to sing. And I liked it because the tune was a little more catchy than most of the hymns that we were singing at that time. But as I got older and as I went through life and I went through some heartache and I went through some setbacks and I went through some rejection and I went through some pain and I went through in a wheelchair and went through the words stuck on me and stick to me to this day and I hang on to them. This hymn, this poem says this. He giveth more grace when our burdens grow greater. He sends more strength when our labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. His love has no limits. His, his grace has no measure. His power, no boundaries known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth, and he giveth. And he giveth again. One of the other verses says basically, when we've exhausted the store of our, of our endurance. Any of you feel like that? Just exhausted the store of your endurance. When, when all our strength has failed, ere the day is half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources. Our Father's full giving is only begun. He giveth, and he giveth, and he giveth. Timothy, be strong in the Lord, in Christ Jesus. I mean, we could stop right now. We could just halt this home right here and and. And there are some of you, that is all you need to hear today. That is the word of God for you today. Be strong in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. Be strong. Endure. Hang in there. He'll give and give and give. But Paul doesn't stop there. 
He goes on in verse two and talks about passing the baton, which DeAndre mentioned last week and did a great job with that message about pulling on. And then he, he gives us three little word pictures that go down through the ages, passes the test of time, and says, if I'm gonna remind you of anything for this enduring life, to make it through all this, I wanna remind you of this. And so in verse three, he says this, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to, he wants to, to um, <laughs> I don't know what it says. He wants to please his commanding officer. He wants to obey his commanding officer. Like a good soldier. It's an interesting term. In fact, in, in those days especially, as it is today, there's something about a soldier that's set apart than just your average civilian. And Paul says to Timothy, hey, if you're going to endure, recognize this. Here's what I want to remind you of. It's a battle. It's a battle. If you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to endure to the end and you're going to make it strong, it's a war. Don't let it catch you off guard. In fact, often throughout Scripture, it reveals our enemy over and over again. It says the enemy is like, uh, is like somebody throwing fiery darts at you. You ever feel like that? Darts of temptation and darts of testing coming at you. You're trying to avoid them. Sometimes it refers to the enemy as a snake. My favorite, my favorite way it, it, it talks about the enemy is this. Like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Whoa. Paul says to Timothy, don't, don't ever forget this. When you sign up, I do, to Jesus Christ, you make an enemy. It's a battle. It's a war. It's a cosmic war going on. Satan has no strength over God, but he loves to mess up his children. And he'll do everything he can to attack you. He'll undermine your obedience and your faith. He'll tear away at, at what you believe. There'll be an onslaught on your marriage. Your children will be, will be attacked. Your singlehood will be challenged. To try to live for Christ will be a daily battle for you. It might not be hourly, it might not be every day, but it's going to be often. And if you just think it's a playground, no wonder you live defeated. No wonder if you're going to be weak. It's a war. It's a war. It, it, it's like this. If somebody signed up, enlisted, to go into, into the army, and, and uh, they go through basic training, and before long they're off to, the, off to the front lines of war, wherever that might be across the world. First day out, out of the field, heading out against the enemy, and all of a sudden, five minutes in, the battle ensues. And they turn around, hightail it back to camp, eyes wide open going, oh, what, what are you doing back here? They're shooting at me out there. There's people who want to do me harm out there. Well, what do you expect? You're a soldier. It's a battle. That's not what I signed up for. Well, what did you sign up for? Well, I wanted to be stationed in Hawaii and have them pay for my college. <laughs> no. It's a battle out there. Don't forget that. I don't know what the church of tomorrow will look like. I tell you this, the battle will not become any less in the days of tomorrow. And if you enter into this life following Jesus, 
Let me just tell you, Paul says, do it like a soldier. A soldier doesn't get entangled in the civilian affairs of this world, he says. Don't, don't allow yourself, Timothy, to, to just lose sight of the mission. Don't be so caught up in the, in the way of, of, of the way everyone else lives that you forget you've, you've enlisted in God's army to do God's will, to advance his kingdom. Now, a lot of times when we think the enemy is starting to come upon us, we think of all these huge sins, and, and indeed, that happens, you know, licentiousness and debauchery and drunkenness and drugs or whatever. I mean, we know what Satan can do to, to a person or to a family or whatever. But some of that's just, I mean, most of us are not going to go off, out here and, you know, enter a life of prostitution and drugs. Now, some of you might, but that's just stupid. Here's the way the scheme of the devil works. If he can get our eyes and our attention off the mission and invested in our own kingdom instead of his kingdom, so that all our attention, all our time, all our resources, all our finances, all our energy, all our passion is about my kingdom, my world, my life, we become useless to the kingdom of God because we are so in tune with the ways of my kingdom, we miss it. what he wants us to do, and we get weakened by that, and we get tired. Paul says to Timothy, let me just tell you, pleasing the commanding officer is what it's all about. When he says go, you go. When he says move out, you move out. You don't say, well, wait just a minute, we kind of built this nice little foxhole here, got the sandbags just about right, put a little wooden inlay in there, it's... No, when it's time to move, you move. You listen to what he says and you go for it. He's your commanding officer. It's Jesus. I love, uh, I love grandkids. My grandkids. I don't really love your grandkids, but I, lo I love my grandkids, our grandkids. We have six of them. Not only do I love them just to kind of, you know, they're just, they're great. I love even more so watching my children be parents. That cracks me up. <laughs> that is so much fun, especially when the, when the grandkids misbehave and they have to correct them. And I love it. Our, our youngest son, he's a wonderful guy. He, um, he's an expert. Gets that from his mom. But um, he, he's an expert. He says, you know what? I'm going to be the perfect dad. And, and if we just reason through this whole thing, you know, and we'll logic way our way through, logically, and, and and a while back, his daughters were like fit to be tied. They were tired. They were whiny. They were, and he was trying to get them to do something, and they would do the opposite. And he would say, well, here's what I want you to do. And they would go, why, why, why? And they would whine and why. And if he said black, they'd go white. If he was white, they'd go black. I mean, just the opposite. And it was just going on and on and on and on. And I'm sitting there enjoying every second of it, watching him in misery. <laughs> And, and finally, he, did, he does what the universal of all parents in any culture, in any age, ever does. After why, 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 finally he does this. He says, he stops everything and goes, because I said so. <laughs> I'm cracking up. This is so good. 
I can't wait till his kids get on his case for saying that, but that's a whole other story. Because I said so. You know, no soldier would ever ask their commanding officer in the middle of battle, in the middle of an order, why? I'm not sure I want to. I want to go this way. Why? Paul says to Timothy, a lot of the times we are asking our commanding officer, why? God comes in with a whisper and a prompt and a push. This is his will. This is his way. This is what he... And we go, why? I know better. I, I think we should. And no wonder we're weak. I mean, that video about the chair, who's on your chair? Who's your commanding officer? Who's calling the shots of your life? There are a lot of voices out there. Who are you listening to? Who are you allowing to sit on the chair? If you haven't made the decision that he's the commanding officer of your life, then you've made the decision that he's not the commanding officer of your life. You want to endure, Paul says? Do it like a good soldier. Similar, similar way, do it like a good athlete. In those days, the Greeks and Romans loved athletics just like we do. A, pre, a prelude to the Olympic Games was a thing called the Ismanian Games. They were they were same kind of thing, track and field. And people loved to run after the race and run after the competition chasing down the crown and trying to, to, um, to win the prize. And, and Paul says, if, if, uh, if anyone competes as an athlete and does not receive a victor's crown, unless he, unless he competes according to the rules. I mean, this is serious athlete. This is, this is the real thing, athlete. This is not wannabe athlete. This is not... Um, kind of a, a hobby guy, athlete. This is not rec league dude. This is a pro athlete. That's, I want to remind you to be that kind of athlete, Paul is saying, when you follow Christ. You know the difference between a professional athlete and rec league, don't you? You, know, you go to the rec league, go to the YMCA, here comes rec league dude. He's got all the equipment, got pads for his knees, back brace, arm pads, shoulder brace. He's got the newest LeBron, Kobe, Air Jordan, Nikes. He's got all the sweats and he's got the whole thing. Comes in, big brand new basketball, looking the part. Shows up once a week maybe. Goes to the emergency room right afterwards and comes again. Shows up another couple weeks. Maybe get, looks the part. Looks like he's got it all together, but he. He's just rec league dude. Or, or the guy in the softball field that comes in, has a $250 bat that he just bought, wrapped in bubble wrap, hermeneutically sealed in this new bag that he's got that no one can touch. It's under lock and key that only he pulls out and takes a swing at it. When he hits the ball, before he runs the bases, he puts the bat back in the bag and zips it up. To, you know, that guy. How much different than a professional athlete who's all about work, and regime and hitting the, hitting the weight training room and eating right and watching film and studying and practice and repetition and repetition day in and day out, 360 days out of the year, he's working at his craft to become the very best that he can be. Paul says, don't be a rec league Christian. This is serious stuff. 
The church of tomorrow needs, needs serious athletes that follow Christ. You don't just come once a week or come every three months or so and you just kind of show up and you pray at your meals and, and off you go. Paul says to Timothy, I want 24-7. We want people that hunger for God. We want people that chase God. We want people that, that can't get enough of God, that just say, I want to be more like God. I want more of God. I want God in my heart. I'm going to give him all that I have, all my life. I'm going to follow him. The church of tomorrow longs for holy, fully devoted followers of Jesus. Not just Reckly dude. How about you? Are you, a, are you a recreational Christian? Or is your whole heart into it? Because if you're going to run and you're going to compete and you're going to win the crown, there's a playbook for you. There's a rule book to run by. Very important in this whole thing. And when they would run in those Olympic races, the, the, the Olympiad races in those times, they'd have to sign a contract 10 months before the games in order to, to play by the rules and to train as tough as they could because the integrity of the games depended on the very best athletes showing up and playing by the rules. The integrity of the game depended on it. Now, if you were one of those guys and, or gals and, and you, were, you were gathered in this Olympics and you're in this big stadium, big old track, and you're at the starting blocks and on your mark, you set, and the gun shoots off and off you go and everybody takes off and you take about 20 steps and all of a sudden, Whoom, across the middle of the track field you go, heading for the, the finish line, taking a shortcut. Boom, breaking through the ribbon. You're number one, world record. Oh, number one, who? You're doing all the stuff that they do and all that kind of thing. And people are looking like, he's an idiot. What did he just do? He didn't even, he didn't go, he, who do you think you are? Why, well, finish the race. I was number one. No, you, you are, but you didn't play by the rules. You're not gonna, you don't win anything. Well, I played by my rules. You don't have that prerogative when you're in the game. You don't have that prerogative. You, know you know what they do with athletes who cheat? <laughs> ben Johnson, early, late 90s, guy who broke all kinds of records, track record, 100-meter dash. When you see TV clippings of it, the, sec the second place runner was so far behind. It's unbelievable. And the reason why he was juicing, that's why. There are guys with Hall of Fame numbers for home runs that will never get into the Hall of Fame in professional baseball. They have an asterisk by their name, an asterisk. You can play by your own rules. You can have your own playbook. But wouldn't it be kind of weird when it's all over with that you show up to the hall of faith and they're not going to let you in because, oops, you have an asterisk by your name. Jesus said, what, you know, if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul, what good is that? If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, playbook. And then he says farmer. Let's talk about farming for a minute. It's hard work. You work and 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 then you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. There's not any harder workers, and there's not anybody that has to wait longer for so little as you wait for that crop to come up. But the harvest is worth it. You're never going to have a harvest if you don't work, if you don't sow, if you don't, if you don't 
kill the weeds off and protect the crops. And if you're not willing to wait, Paul is basically telling Timothy, spiritual formation, spiritual maturity doesn't happen overnight. You can't microwave it. It's work. It's discipline. Sowing and reaping. But this I'll tell you, the harvest is worth it. The harvest is worth it. One pastor that I heard says, we talk about the, the harvest, talk about the reward. He says that, you know, if, 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 if you follow Jesus, if Jesus is in your life, this is as close to hell, this life, as you'll ever get. Doesn't matter what you're going through, how tough it is, how rough it is, how horrible it is. In the, in the space of eternity, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. It's never going to get any worse than this. It's only going to get better. That's the harvest. Conversely, if, if he's not the captain of your team, if he's not your commanding officer, if you're not playing by the playbook, this is as great as this life might be. This is as close to heaven as you'll ever be on this earth. The harvest is worth it. And you're a farmer. Here's the thing about this whole thing as we wrap up. You take, you take a commanding officer, and it depends on who your commanding officer is, which leads to what kind of playbook you're going to play by, what the rule book is, which leads to what kind of harvest you're going to reap. If your commanding officer is money, make money. I'm driven to make money. I'm going to wake up every morning. I'm going to make more money, make more money. I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice anything just to make more money. You'll, if you'll have a certain playbook, it'll be Forbes magazine, it'll be Money magazine, it'll be the Wall Street Journal, it'll be um, what would William Buffett do, you know, what, whatever the playbook would be. The harvest might be a lot of money, but what's, what's that going to do when your life's over for you? And Jesus says, you know, when it comes to money, you usually want more and you want more. It becomes a monster. You want more and you more and more and more and more. It's never enough. How much enough in that? In fact, really, the harvest is probably more like greed. That's your harvest, greed, when it's all said and done. Commanding officer image, how I look, my body, my status, where I live, what I drive, what I, my clothes. Image is everything. What's the playbook? Not GQ magazine, Cosmo magazine, the Facebook you know, what's, what's everybody else doing on Facebook? What's the miracle milkshake to drink and, you know, all that? Result? Well, I've never seen anybody on their deathbed when they go up and, Grandpa, would you show us your muscle one more time? You know, Grandma, you're 95. You're in so good shape. What a, what a great body. Oh. <laughs> you just never hear that. In fact, the harvest usually is more like self-absorbed, narcissistic, ego-driven. CEO, who's your commanding officer? Maybe it's shame. You messed up in life. Your playbook is, I, I've blown it. I've been hurt. I've hurt others. I've done stupid things. I can't get it out of my mind. I lived my whole life in my past. Why? Regrets. What? Going over and over again. And the harvest is despair, escapism. Self-medicating. Paul says, if you'll make your commanding officer Jesus, and if you'll make the playbook his words, his commands, his teaching, 
When you enlist in his service, you live the life he calls you to live. The harvest will be the best possible way of living. And it will be eternal life. And it will be not only for you, but for others that you build your life around. And it'll be worth it. So when it all comes down to it, it's who's your commanding officer. What is the voice that you hear, that you take command from, that you put in the chair of your life? Where's that voice come from? My guess is for most of us, Maybe for the first time, but maybe just to remind ourselves, we need a regime change. We need to invite him back on the throne of our life and on that chair. Let's stand together as the worship team comes. I'd like you just to bow your head with me today. And maybe it's a simple prayer that you would offer up to the Lord that just says something like this Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my commanding officer. I'm moving off the chair of my life. I'm, I'm pushing everything else off to the side. And I offer you to come and sit in this chair. That you would be the director of my life, the Lord of my life, my commanding officer. In Jesus' name, amen.